Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's your boy Nightmare K Hall back at it again with another podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the independent news section, folks. And ladies and gentlemen, we got five stories that we got to talk about, man. Ladies, LGBT, you can't make this shit up in a Hollywood film. I mean, just the talks that I'm about to go over, the stories I'm about to tell you about tonight is absolutely out of this world. But we're not surprised about it because as the election continues to ramp up, as everything continues to happen around the world, Davos is pretty much over now. So, folks, <laughs> if you thought 2024 was bad, you ain't seen nothing yet because 2025 is going to be a lot worse than 2024. We're going to talk about uh, Disease X as well, which I definitely have an article about that here in just a second. But yes, folks, Disease X is the next pandemic that's coming. So get your popcorn ready because we all know when Disease X show up, you will be prepared for it because I'm telling you about Disease X. So yes. But anyway, folks, let's not waste any more time. It's probably ain't going to be a long show, so let's get into independent news. So we're going to kick it off with ReclaimTheNet.org. We have a story about carbon passports. That's right, folks. That is not hyperbole. Carbon passports. The looming surveillance dystopia. So governments and think tanks are considering unprecedented levels of surveillance. So the ideas from what's known as carbon passports have been floated as a notion supported by the International Monetary Fund, known as the IMF, during the last UN Climate Change Conference, COP28, held in the United Arab Emirates. These digital ID documents aim to track and, and limit an individual's carbon footprint as a means to encourage sustainable living, reduce global carbon emissions, However, just like in other ways, governments have used large-scale phenomena to crack down on freedoms and increase surveillance and tracking. Carbon passports raise significant concerns regarding civil liberties and individual freedoms. Similar to social credit scores in China, carbon passports functions by recording the amount of carbon dioxide an individual is responsible for emitting. Basically, you're breathing. Typically through travel, energy consumption, and other daily activities, the idea is to set a personal carbon limit, incentivize or compelling individuals to adapt greener practices while this concept aligns with the broader goal of environmental conservatism. It, its implementation on liberty are huge. The far most concerned with carbon passport is the invasive invasion of privacy. To accurately track an individual's carbon output, extensive data collection is necessary, ranging from travel habits to energy uses. This level of surveillance could create a comprehensive profile of a person's lifestyle, raising fears of misuse or unauthorized access to sensible personal information. Another critical issue is the potential for social inequality. Carbon passports could disproportionately affect lower-income groups who may not have the means to reduce their carbon footprint. This disparity could manifest in restrictive mobility or penalization 
exacerbating existing social inequalities. The, the um, implementation of carbon passports also pose the risk of sliding towards authoritarianism by granting governments the power to monitor and control individuals' behavior to this unprecedented extension. There is a danger of eroding democratic values and individual autonomy. The mechanism used for carbon passports could, in theory, be repurposed for other forms of surveillance and control, setting a concerning precedent. IMF head uh, Geneva was at COP28 and spoke about a controversy scheme under consideration and possible development, carbon pricing, basically carbon emission taxation of companies. Uh, Geneva talked up the idea as something that would affect one of the world's most profitable industries, the energy industry. But critics say it is regular citizens who would pay for it through hikes of consumer prices and that while little people would be expected to give up on their lifestyles, those of the wealthy would remain unaffected. The World Economic Forum, WEF, is always a good example of this hypocrites. Lately, one of the key points to informal elites groups push is related to the climate change agenda. Just as their fleet of private jets awaits part for them to finish spreading their carbon emissions panic and call for increased control and surveillance of citizens. So there's plenty of room to wonder why such an intense focus on this particular policy. And that allows for various theories to develop. It's more than money that billions of consumers the world over have to worry about with all this, there are also the issue of things like introducing personal carbon allowance and tracking for every citizen, for instance. Skeptics, therefore, wonder, is the whole thing actually about implementing yet another tool of control over the population? After all, a decent amount of implement surveillance would have to be used in order to effectively monitor individuals' carbon use. Meanwhile, it is hard to listen with a straight face to the top representative of a global money giant like the IMF talking about warning the oil and gas corporations that the writing is on the wall while claiming that this carbon policy would be a quick way to get them to decarbonize. The focus on moving away from fossil fuels through a through perhaps a sign of deep worry uh, prestigiously because of it, comes amid a geopolitical crisis where energy plays a key role and many countries who were in the recent past pursued to, for example, move away from coal for electricity production now barely regret it. So Geneva is optimistic. She mentions her former employee, the EU, as a success story where the emissions trading system reportedly reduced emissions but also allowed governments to earn $191 billion via a carbon price. But there's more. Last year, COP28 has heard a lot of talk in favor of carbon credits. However, as observers note, this looks like a lot of hot air, no pun intended, since it's being presented and promoted without any rules yet agreed upon to govern the scheme. Not to mention that, just as Geneva has her research to fall back on when it comes to carbon pricing, so do the opponents of carbon credits and carbon passports. The studies they cite show no significant or none at all reduction in carbon emission. The logical question would then be, why is there such a push towards carbon passports? Surveillance and control could be good answers to that question. Carbon passport in its simplest form would function as a digital ledger tracking an individual's carbon emissions, for example, associated with travel. This could include flights, car journeys, and even public transportation usage. The, the permission is to encourage 
The premise is to encourage more sustainable travel choices by making people directly accountable for their carbon footprint. By quantifying the carbon cost of each journey, individuals can be more aware of the environmental impact of their travel decision and be aware of how much their living is allegedly harming the planet. This is absolute horse shit. To be effectively a carbon passport system might include incentives for low carbon emissions such as tax breaks or rewards. Conversely, penalizes for high emissions could be imposed ranging from higher tax to restrict on travel. This carrot and stick approach aims to nudge public behavior towards more sustainable practices. But what about this uh, subliminal cost to personal freedom and privacy? The implementation of carbon passports could lead to a restriction of the fundamental right to freedom of movement. By potentially penalizing excessive travel, individuals with higher carbon footprints might face limitations on their ability to travel, raising ethical questions about fairness and freedom. To accurately track an individual's travel-related carbon emissions, a comprehensive surveillance system will be necessary. This could involve monitoring travel itineraries, vehicle use, and even daily commuting patterns. Such surveillance raises significant privacy concerns as it will entail the collection, storage, and analysis of vast amounts of personal data. With the accumulation of personal travel data, there is an inherent risk of data breaches and misuse. The sensitive nature of this information could make individuals vulnerable to privacy invasion and target advertising, and in worst-case scenarios, to more nefarious use of their travel patterns. A carbon passport system could disproportionately affect lower-income individuals. Those who cannot afford to offset their emissions with sustainable alternatives might find themselves penalized. Deepenly social inequalities, moreover, such a system could perceive as a form of control, disproportionately impacting certain communities and lifestyles. Carbon passports would also track the carbon emissions associated with an individual directory choices and entertainment habits. This could include monitoring the consumption of meat, daily products, and processed foods, as well as the use of electronic devices and participation in carbon-intensive leisure activities. Monitoring what individuals eat and how they entertain themselves would require an intrusive level of surveillance, raises substantial privacy concerns. This could lead to a scenario where personal lifestyle choices are no longer private, potentially infringing upon fundamental freedoms. To effectively track these aspects, carbon passports would require access to an unprecedented amount of personal data, potentially including GPS and location data to monitor travel patterns, utility and purchase records to gouge energy and food consumption, online activity data to access the carbon footprint of digital entertainment. This comprehensive data collection raises profound privacy concerns as it would provide a detailed insight into the most inmated aspects of one's life. Once in place, the infrastructure for carbon passport could easily be repurposed for other forms of surveillance extending beyond its initial environmental objective. This mission creep could lead to a scenario where the data is used for a purpose like law enforcement or even commercial exploitation. The centralized collection of such vast amounts of personal data also creates a significant target for cyber attacks. Data breaches could expose sensitive personal information, leading to risks like identity theft, stalking, and various forms of cybercrime. In a new world order where carbon passports are mandatory, the concepts of anonymity could vanish. Constant monitoring and data collection would mean that nearly every aspect of our person's life is recorded, analyzed, and potentially scrutinized. So folks, this right here 
if carbon passports becomes mandatory, if they become a thing in the future, in the near future, it's game over. I it, it's done. I don't care if you have them in there. I don't care if you have privacy coins. I don't give a fuck if you have VPNs. I don't care if you connect to Tor. Your life is over. It's over. Our entire, we are literally in authoritarianism. A technocracy, authoritarianism type world. It is game, set, match. Done. I don't give a fuck about your protest. I don't care about your podcast. I don't give a fuck about nothing. It is game, set, match. I don't care that you go in the dark markets, buy your meat. I don't give a fuck about none of that. It is game over. Carbon passports become the norm in society across the globe. Game over. It is game, set, fucking match, ladies and gentlemen. Game, set, match. It is done. But anyway, we got more. So Ted Ross tells the World Economic Forum, the World Health Organization, pandemic treaty is needed to combat disease X. And folks, disease X is the next pandemic, so get your popcorn ready. The treaty outlines proposals for increased surveillance, vaccine passport, monitoring misinformation. So the World Health Organization Director General Ted Ross has publicly advocated for a global pandemic treaty that has major implications surrounding speech, surveillance, and digital vaccine passport. He emphasizes the importance of international cooperation during a speech at the World Economic Forum in Davos, pointing out that the potential obstacles posed by an orientative or national interest. Tedros took part in a session titled Disease X at the forum where he underscored what he believes to be the critical importance of being more prepared for potential future pandemics, which we will have in 2025, by the way, after Trump is president, by the way, if we have an election. Tedros backed the adoption of the World Health Organization pandemic treaty, viewing it as a necessary tool for enhancing our understanding of such diseases. Addressing the Davos crowd, Tedros stated, this is about a common enemy without a shared response. We will face the same problem as COVID. He identified disease X as a placeholder term that could be used to encompass yet unknown disease and reiterated the importance of continued research and development for treaties, for treatments, excuse me. Earlier this week, the World Health Organization worked with the World Economic Forum to advocate for implementation of the pandemic treaty. The treaty backed by the European Union aims to strengthen global resilience to future pandemics and already has plans to induce a digital vaccine passport by spring of 2024. Let me repeat that again. The EU plans to introduce a digital vaccine passport by spring of 2024 with a deadline of May 2024. The World Health Organization, along with the support from the EU, is working towards a binding agreement among the United Nations member states to facilitate global participation. Tedros remarked, the importance of a legal binding instrument cannot be overstated. It will be our collective legacy for future generations. Folks, if this pandemic treaty is signed, they have taken all of our medical rights away from our nations. Period. The World Health Organization will decide on our health for the rest of our natural lives. 
period. None of our nation states will be able to decide on what to do during a pandemic. The World Health Organization will have all the power during a pandemic, period. And they can make vaccines globally mandatory. Without them, you can't function in society. That is absolutely the worst thing on planet Earth besides the carbon passports. And again, shout out to my EU fans out there. Your country is completely out of fucking control. It's absolutely out of control. To be honest, man, you can't make this shit up in a Hollywood film. You just fucking can't. You cannot, folks. You cannot. But anyway, folks, (laughs) we're not even halfway through this yet. We got more. So the UN chief Antonio advocates for sustainable development goals, including digital IDs and enhanced data sharing at the WEF 2024. So the digital ID push is accelerating, folks. Oh, my God, man. Let's continue. So the UN Secretary General Antonio is in Davos these days for an annual World Economic Forum Summit. And his address at one of the panels has been in keeping with the media's agendas. But also clearly those recently forcefully pushed by the World Organization. Among the scheme, Antonio spoke about are the UN's Global Digital Compact and the Sustainable Development Goals. The first, cons- the first consists of several proposals including digital IDs, that is linked to people's bank accounts, while the second overarching one that enjoys the support of some of the world's most powerful countries also involves digital ID and UN vision of disinformation moderation, also known as censorship. Antonio said that Global Digital Compact would be a major contributor to what he called the digital connectivity gap, referring to the overall project as multiple stakeholder The UN chief noted that AI would play a role in building the public and private sector capability of a network governance model. More data sharing seems to be at the heart of all this, while in order to keep control over the way AI is used in the future. Antonio and his team wanted to see governments and private tech companies work together. All these initiatives will feature... I mean, all these innovations will feature at the Summit for the Future this coming September. One idea voiced by Antonio is to make globalist organizations such as G20, International Financial Institution, and the UN itself even closer. A recent UN policy brief discussed the complex pyramid of initiatives where, until now, something called our common agenda, of which global digital compact is one mechanism, was designed to accelerate sustainable development goals. Now, there is also the move to bring G20 and others into this play. Likened in some reports as an economy-oriented counterpart to the UN Secretary Council. And the fear here becomes the effect it may have on the international banking system and in the process of people's financial liberties. As for global digital compact, it looks like yet another dystopian interaction of an idea that is cropping up all over the world in different forms. With digital ID as an unavoidable component, it would create a centralized, therefore easily controlled network of citizens. So there you go, folks. <laughs> this is getting pushed even faster. 
All they need, folks, is one more crisis to bring all the stuff in. The carbon passports, the pandemic treaty, the sustainable development goals, including the digital ID. It's absolutely insane. And we got more from Davos. So Czech Republic, Jan, calls for global solution against the false content at the World Economic Forum. Censorship headquarters. Why are we not surprised? Czech Foreign Minister Jan is in Davos for the World Economic Forum, WEF. There he offered his two European cents about misinformation and democracy, abetting referring to the former as false content. Davos is just the right place for the minister to try to press home the maternity of global solutions. In this case, a global solution and to have a global discussion about the way, sick, how we communicate. How we communicate. There may be a bit of a language barrier here, but is Mr. Jan actually talking up the marriage of speech control by any other name? Doesn't seem unlikely because some of the other phrases that came out of his mouth included government, accountability, quite directly a mention of control of technology that is made possible through government intervention that is regulation. It is not inconceivable that somewhere in the West's corridors, China representatives were nodding approvingly. Meanwhile, let's see how it should work. According to the government in Prague, which I am going in June, by the way, and it's rep, they certainly have a lot on their plate right now. But apparently, elections in various countries around the world seem to be top of the agenda. And who better to talk about that than a foreign minister? But even if they trend to talk about 4 million people across the globe going to the polls and how to gently or not so gently nudge them to pick the proper candidate, it always comes back to the one election that really matters, especially to outfits like the WEF, the U.S. presidential vote. But gatherings like this will go out of their way not to always focus on that election and will talk in circles warning that what what will happen in one country today might happen in another country tomorrow, thanks to or because of globally available Internet platforms. And so perhaps test regulation in one, then to implement it in another. What taxpayers around the world should perhaps be even more worried about than the by now customary attacks on speech is just how little original idea, or even turn of phrase those they push it have to offer, sounding instead like they're all reading from the same playbook. Case in point, Jan, we, we need a really global, we need a really global solution and to have a global discussion about the way we communicate as people, which content and how, and how are we presented. And definitely we will see more and more false content being used as something which will disrupt the election process, which will disrupt the way how the society makes decisions. So the kind of regulation or possession or control of those technologies need to be deployed so that the governments will be sure that it is not going against the interests of, of the governments, the minister also said. So basically, folks, this minister from Prague in the Czech Republic, Jan, wants to control all of our speech. Basically, we're not allowed to say anything that they deem disrespectful, false information, misinformation, or disinformation, 
according to this son of a bitch. And, uh, yeah, so we all should be treated like we're in North Korea, basically. Around the world. Basically, we all need to be under a dictatorship. That's basically it. We no longer have freedom of speech, folks, according to Jan, this asshole. He wants technology to be built that silences our speech somehow. And all the content we put online and everything like that. This is absolutely insane. You can't make this shit up in a Hollywood fucking film, folks. You just fucking can't. But anyway, last story of the night. So Ubisoft. Executive says people need to get comfortable never owning games. The digital and subscription trap. We all knew this was coming as gamers. So here we go. As the gaming industry increasingly lends towards online subscription, Philip, Uniswap Director of Subscription, argues for the need to accept the absence of physical game ownership for these services to thrive. Ubisoft has ventured into the domain with Ubisoft Plus Premium and Ubisoft Plus Classics. Philip, speaking with GI.biz, acknowledges the nuanced stage of this model. Noting its expansion, especially on consoles with major players like PlayStation and Xbox, and trends on the PC front. Yet for gaming subscriptions to grow, he believes consumers must adapt to not having physical copies. A shift akin to the evolution from CDs and DVDs to streaming in music and film. This view, however, overlooks significant drawbacks of abandoning physical ownership. Firstly, digital-only models raise concerns about game uh, preservation. As games become more reliant on digital platforms and servers, their longevity is threatened if those servers shut down. Agreed. Additionally, a, a subliminal segment of gamers still value owning physical copies, as evidenced by the ongoing production and sale of games in disc format. Philip's stance also seems to ignore the importance of consumer rights and control. Owning a physical copy of a game ensures access regardless of any changes in company policy or subscription models. In contrast, digital-only models can lead to situations where access to purchase content is lost or altered without the consumer's consent. This approach also risks alienating traditional gamers and those concerned with game preservation, potentially stifling industry growth and innovation. And I agree with that last part. And uh, folks, for me, I have moved on to physical, I mean, not physical, but digital games. Unfortunately, I don't have any physical copy. My compet, my Xbox Series S is all digital. It is complete. There is no disk drive in that console. So all the games I have to download have to be digital. There's no way for me to buy a disk and put a disk in my Xbox Series S. There's no way around that. So for me, I've already adopted it. I've been a part of the digital revolution for a long time. But I understand gamers' concerns of having physical media. Yes, games can be altered. They can be changed. And yes, if the servers do shut down, you're basically out of the game. You cannot play the game anymore, which absolutely fucking sucks. But folks, this is the world we're heading to. There's no stopping it. This is the world we're heading to. So I, while I agree with that, and it could alienate some traditional gamers out there. Gamers are going to have to get used to this, man. They're going to have to get used to it. I mean, I hate to say it, but this is where we're going. Uh, I say by 2039, man, you won't see any physical games anymore at all. You'll be downloading everything. You'll be having subscription services on everything. And I said this many years ago, many moons ago. 
like 20, I think it was 2013 or 2014, that we're going to digital media and we're never coming back to physical media. It's over for physical media in my eyes. It's done. It's dead. There's no reason to have physical copies of DVDs and CDs when we can just download a movie. Yes, the movie can be altered. Yes, it can be changed. There's no doubt about that. But at the end of the day, this is where we're heading to. This is the information age. This is the digital age. This is what all we're going to know. All the kids that are growing up today, that's all they're going to know. They're not going to know what a CD, CD is. They're not going to know what a DVD is. Not a chance in hell. So, why I agree that with, uh, why I agree with Ubisoft exactly what he said, I don't like the whole subscription service. I don't like the whole digital media, but I'm used to it. And for me, it's much easier. Don't have to wait in line. Don't have to drive to the store. You can just download it from your Xbox, go take a shower, come back out. In about an hour, it's already downloaded. Depending on your speed of internet, it may be downloaded in 10 minutes. So for me, this is comforting. I love it. I don't mind buying a subscription. I have Game Pass Ultimate. I have a subscription to Game Pass Ultimate. I always buy an Xbox gift card over 100 bucks every year. I have Xbox uh, Gold subscription as well, so I can play online. It's absolutely amazing. I love it. It's absolutely bonkers. Um, folks, for me, it is what it is, and I'm cool with it. I know some gamers are going to be like, fuck you, Nightmare. I want my physical copy. Fuck that. I don't want. I still want to be able to play the game. But folks, in the future, these consoles aren't going to have CD drives anymore. They're just not. They're not going to have CD drives you see Netflix is doing digital media. You see probably Amazon is going to be, Amazon Prime is going to start doing video games digitally as well. And you just got to get used to it. So it is what it is. But in conclusion, folks, and I told you this wasn't going to be a long show. My independent news shows are not long. And all the links will be in the description below. And no, I did not do technocracy uh, news tonight, folks. I did everything from McLean, the net.org. So all the links you'll be able to click on and read the stories yourself. Um, so you know I wasn't lying to you on this podcast, but anyway, folks, um, but folks, I can't get over this carbon passport stuff. I really can't, man. And it's interesting that a lot of the people in the digital, uh, decentralized space and cryptocurrency is absolutely blind to this issue. You can't make this shit up in Hollywood film. You got people worried about shit that doesn't even matter, bro. Like, it's crazy to me. Like, on Noster. There's this person that literally talks about drinking like every day. This person has to be an alcoholic. There's no fucking way this person's not. But hey, this person has the right to choose what they want to do. They're American. Well, they're Australian and they can do whatever the fuck they want to do uh, because they're their own person, their own human being. They're going to make their own choice. But when you're not even acknowledging that the shit that's going on behind the scenes and not even behind the scenes. The shit is being done wide in, right in front of your eyes. And people are just ignoring this shit like it doesn't fucking matter. We have Monero. We're going to shop on the... Now, if you have a carbon passport, you're not. You're not going to be doing anything. <laughs> if we get a carbon passport or digital IDs, you're not going to be doing anything. Anything at all. Like, you're literally going to own nothing and be happy. Like, absolutely... Actually, you're going to own nothing and be miserable, actually. But the point is, man, this is absolutely ludicrous. This is ludicrous. 
Like, it, it, it's funny, like, I feel like I'm the only person in my circle that talks about this stuff on a weekly basis. Matter of fact, I am the only person that talks about this stuff on a weekly basis. It's absolutely insane. You can't make this shit up in Hollywood film. It freaking cannot. It's unfreaking believable. You cannot make this stuff up, folks. You just fucking can't. But anyway, folks, this podcast will be out on Wednesday, 3 a.m. Eastern, 12 a.m. Pacific. Please share this with your friends and family because, folks, we got to get the word out. Like, seriously. Like, <laughs> you don't even hear this stuff in the crypto space. You hear nothing of the sorts. And people will be like, well, that's just freaking misinformation and dis." Really? When it's coming out of Davos, which we all just saw last week? Like, you can go on their freaking YouTube channel and watch all their freaking talks. Like, are you insane? Like, you are, are you freaking bonkers? Like, what's wrong with you? Like, it's completely nuts. Like, it's insane to me. And now all the crypto influencers are starting to go to Davos and talk about blockchain and Bitcoin and altcoins and all this stuff. And it's insane to me. It's insane to me. You know, like I said, man, you'll never catch me at Davos. Not at the World Economic Forum. Not a chance in hell. I will never get invited there. Absolutely fucking not. I tried to go there once during the pandemic. But they only would allow me there if I had the vaccine, so I told them, fuck no, and then that was that. But the point is, like I said, man, this is insane. Don't you know that they're trying to enslave us, folks? Don't you get it? None of this shit that they talk about is going to help the planet. It's not. We're already being depopulated. People aren't having kids. So there's the depopulation agenda by itself. We invoke the depopulation agenda ourselves. And this is why I keep telling people, you have to understand, folks, we play a role in our enslavement. We do. We really do. Because we make decisions that fits their agenda. Like, look at all the people that don't want kids anymore. I mean, I know people are going to say, well, Nightmare, you don't want kids. Well, that's because I know I'm not meant to have kids at all. I would, it would be interesting to have a child, but it's not in the cards for me. So I've accepted it. But people that are like in their 20s, that are literally getting out of college saying, I'm not going to have a kid ever. I'm not going to have a family ever. That's insane to me. That's insane to me. Why would you not want kids and grandchildren? That's insane to me. That's insane to me. But the point is, depopulation is underway, folks. And soon transhumanism will be here. You know, and merging with technology and all that stuff will be here. So, folks... I truly believe we're going to be living in Cyberpunk 2077, where people are eating cockroaches. Like, I'm serious. I'm dead-ass serious, folks. I'm literally not kidding. I really, truly believe. And I need to get back playing Cyberpunk 2077. But, uh, and Dustfall, by the way. But, uh, folks, this is no joke. We are really heading down a dark path. A dark path we're, we're not going to be able to come back from. Like, at all. Like, at all. It's unbelievable. It's unfucking believable And some women are realizing they made the mistake, man. Chasing money, chasing a career, not having a family. They get old now. They have no kids. They have no grandchildren. They have nothing. Nothing. Yeah, you got all, you made all your money. You went on them girl trips. You travel around. Guess what? Now you're going to die. And guess what? The money you made 
can't take it with you. The career you had, you can't take it with you. Wow. You don't get you you don't get to tell the story to your grandchildren because they don't exist. Yikes. That's a lonely life. Or you was starting all your life and now you're old and wrinkled, guess what? You've been ran through like a fucking like a used car. Guess what? It's over for you, dog. You're done. Nobody wants you. Nobody wants to be with you because all your all your um all your pictures, all your sex tapes are all in the internet. They can just put your name in Google and all that shit comes up. Why the hell would anybody want to be with you now? There's no point. But anyway, folks, let me get the hell out of here. Again, this podcast will be available on Wednesday, 3 a.m. Eastern, 12 a.m. Pacific. I will holler at y'all next week, folks. And yes, my birthday is in, is in seven days. One week. Next Monday is my birthday. I'll be 36 years old. And I'm looking forward to traveling in 2024 to Prague. And we'll see what else stuff I travel to as well. Hopefully I get invited to the Solana house down there in New York City. That would be nice. I'll definitely go to that. And I'm definitely most like going to Freedom Fest here in Connecticut in, uh, I believe, yeah, May 4th of 2024 in Connecticut. Try to slide over there, folks, and check it out. It's going to be interesting. I'm super excited. And uh, be buying my ticket here in the next two months. Probably in March I'll buy it. And then uh, we'll go from there. All right, folks. I'm out of here. Peace.